a, a macro dose would be something like, you know, two, three, 3.5 grams. And then a, and a micro dose is just a fraction of that. That's like one tenth of a gram, maybe up to like 0.4, 0.5 of a gram, depending on how deep you want to go. When you microdose, you're not having that those traditional psychedelic effects that um, we, you know we tend to see in movies, where like things get all geometric shapes and things are moving and stuff like that. You know, like you're not going to have that necessarily. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. I'm your host Keith Fibson, and we're an official podcast for the Wonderland Miami 2023 conference from November 9th through the 11th. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jennifer Chesick, an award-winning freelance science and journalist, editor and fact checker based in Nashville, Tennessee. And she's joining us to discuss her latest work on microdosing magical mushrooms and the benefits of psychedelics in medicine. It's an honor to have Jennifer with us today, especially since she will be speaking at Wonderland at the conference. And we're going to find out all about that. Hey, 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 Jennifer. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Thank I you am for doing, having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And I'm so excited to have you here because you're going to speak about a, a topic that I'm going to learn about. And, you know, kind of because your your latest book um you know you've got this book and it's really focused on women it's the psilocybin handbook for women and i'm not a woman at least uh you know maybe i'm a maybe i'm a i don't know i i maybe i am a woman in some ways you know i mean i i can embrace that feminine yeah. aspects of myself but your book is really focused on women and their specific um, psychology and neurology and biology, I and 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 all of that good stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that book kind of is centered for the women that are listening and for the men who may need to know? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the book is the Psilocybin Handbook for Women, and it dives into the intersection of women's health with with magic mushrooms, with psilocybin, of course. And so it explores all these aspects such as like, how does how, how does psilocybin affect the menstrual cycle? Um, would psilocybin be useful for sim menopause symptoms? Things like that. And hmm. it explores the connection between, uh, or, or how applications for psilocybin in parenting and, um, and whether or not you can use psilocybin while pregnant, while pregnant or breastfeeding, all of these aspects that really intersect with women's health. And the reason that the book really focuses on women is because there actually are, in, in many cases, more women are using some psychedelics more frequently than men are, which at first mm. when I did, did the research, was a surprise as it might surprise you too right yeah yeah you know, i heard about yeah. this uh trend of microdosing moms so you know i i I, mm -hmm. I but but you're but you're telling me something i didn't realize and i didn't know what, <laughs> what's that about yeah i mean that's a really great 
question because when I dug a little, at first I was surprised, but then when I dug a little deeper, deeper, it made more sense that more women are using psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And it's simply because, and another fact is that um, when men use psychedelics, they typically are using in a more recreational fashion. Nothing wrong with that. And that's not the case for every man, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what women are using psychedelics for is to self-treat medical or mental health conditions or chronic health conditions. Mm -hmm. And that did not come as a surprise to me because simply the the mainstream medical community has often left women's health as like the last thing that's studied. Women were, weren't even included in early stage clinical trials until about the 1990s. Mm. And so that has had lasting ramifications on women's health. So just to kind of put that into context, I always like to back up my information with facts. Um, so men had a drug for male sexual dysfunction in 1998. And everyone is familiar with what that drug is. It's Viagra. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, with women's health, we didn't even have have a complete picture of what the clitoris is. There's all this internal structure to the clitoris. That didn't happen until 2005 when a female urologist what? did research. I know, 2005, what? we finally figure out where the clitoris is, right? Oh. <laughs> and fast forward, women didn't get a drug for female sexual dysfunction mm. until 2015. 17 year gap between when men got a drug for something to the same condition wow. that women got a drug 17 years later. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's really important that we actually treat the female body and the male body differently in science. And so that it's the same case for something like psilocybin. And as I mentioned, women are using psychedelics in, mm -hmm. in many cases to mm -hmm. self treat. And they are all also disproportionately affected by many conditions such as PTSD, mm -hmm. other forms of trauma, mm -hmm. depression, the list goes on and on yet the medical community tends to take the health of women much less seriously women are more uh, disproportionately affected by medical gaslighting where mm -hmm. they're told that things are all in their head mm. all of that and i've got mm. direct first-hand experience with that but i'll let you talk for a minute no 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 i you know i'm i'm so excited with with this topic and what your book is about and i'm really not you know we sort of talked about the little um things uh, well they're not little i mean First of all, I had no idea about the research elements. You know, I I, I thought the NRA, you know, uh, the uh, yeah, ERA, sorry, the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment was passed in the 70s. I, I didn't realize that it wasn't passed. All right. And then you start to take a look at, you know, being involved in clinical trials, not until the 90s. You know, there's been a this boom in the mental health space and psychedelics certainly have taken center stage. You started talking about women's issues and i'm wondering in terms of the medical benefits or starting to look at the psychological benefits you know why is it that you know when we look at you know ptsd or gaslighting or any of these other issues how you know what happens when they look at psilocybin is it different than if a man is taking psilocybin and within the context of that you know i'm i'm, I'm just trying to understand like you know, how do they come out differently or sure. it, you know, what's the same? Because every trip for every individual is different, but, you know, and every issue we'd like to think is different, but please. Yeah. So obviously our lived experiences mm -hmm. can certainly inform a psychedelic journey, whether it's psilocybin or another one, mm -hmm. but physically, um, 
estrogen affects the binding uh, of the serotonin receptor sites. So oh. there's possibly some interaction there that could mm -hmm. be some type of entourage effect where either estrogen creates a beneficial effect or a negative effect. We mm -hmm. don't really know yet. We're still like researchers are still studying that. Mm -hmm. But we do know that psilocybin likely impacts the menstrual cycle. So there have been a lot of case studies and anecdotal reports that have come out where um, women are experiencing where their their mens their periods come a little early after doing a psilocybin journey, or it's possible that um, in many in some cases their uh, their periods have returned after after they've been absent for a while, or they return to menstrual regularity after a time mm -hmm. of irregularity where their cycles all wonky. And mm -hmm. so that's really important for women's health because we do have conditions like premenstrual dysphoric disorder can that can dysregulate the um the, the menstrual cycle so now there's no guarantee that just by using psilocybin that it would re-regulate your cycle but we're, we are starting to see some research coming out about that and if people are curious about the mechanisms of action it's that the uh the menstrual cycle occurs along what's called the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis mm -hmm. meaning that like one when one hormone kicks off say estrogen it tells mm -hmm. another hormone what to do along mm -hmm. that axis and that's how the cycle sort of happens, the trajectory of the cycle. Then we also have the hypothalamic mm -hmm. pituitary adrenal axis, and that controls our stress response. Mm -hmm. And so when we use psilocybin, we are activating that axis. And again, mm -hmm. that's that's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And you can tell that these two axes overlap with the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. Mm -hmm. So one axis can affect the other just we already know that that if we're stressed our cycles um, might become irregular or if we get our cycle if we're on our period we can become more stressed of course so we know already that these these axes overlap but there is preliminary research to suggest that psilocybin does also impact the menstrual cycle mm -hmm. typically it seems like for with having beneficial effects mm -hmm. so that it may matter when a woman wh where the per a person is on mm -hmm. her uh, cycle mm -hmm. um, it may matter when we use psilocybin like whether mm -hmm. for a deeper journey or how we microdose and so mm -hmm. I did talk to an indigenous wisdom expert for mm -hmm. the book and mm -hmm. she recommended that if a person is planning to uh, do a journey that mm -hmm. they try to do that closer to ovulation rather than um, as you get closer to your period. And that has to do with the types of energy um, in our body. And I don't mean energy like, you know, feeling feeling you know energetic i mean like sort of glucose metabolism and things like that that's all being as we get closer to our to our cycle our periods we are uh we become a little bit more insulin resistant in our bodies and so a journey can take a lot a lot out of you and so it's harder to journey when you're closer to your period than when you are uh at ovulation so that's kind of in a nutshell some of the stuff that i cover about the menstrual wow. cycle but i'll wow. so dive it, deeper later so it's kind of like you know here we are we just had a a new moon you know and you know we're just at the beginning of a new period of 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 of, of realization or actualization and i'm trying to bring this into me as a male as a you know as a veteran who you know uh, has worked with folks that have ptsd and so on but we're in the but we're in well our conversation is much more in a creative flow like literally you know physically mentally biologically the physiology of it just makes a lot of sense and i'm just trying to figure out if from a male viewpoint if we've got the same kind of capability because you know we do through we, we when we start taking a look at um you know seasonality and we start taking a look at every everyone has a cyclic rhythm right everyone mm -hmm. 
has a biorhythm. And I'm just, what, you have any thoughts about that? You know, I'm, like, would I be well served by reading your book uh, to go ahead and get some insider tips in terms of when, you know, it, from a mindful viewpoint, when I might, you know, what, whether or not I'm advising or using? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, some a lot of the, the chapters do focus very specifically on women's health, but I have other chapters intermingled mm -hmm. throughout the book. So for example, chapter three is all about the neurobiology of what happens in your brain when you and, and in your body when you use psilocybin. And so I think that is something that's really beneficial to to everyone to read that. And then I have I also have a logistics chapter. So diving into aspects of set and setting, mm -hmm. um, set being your mind set when you go into a, a journey and then setting being um, your environment who's around you all of that and those types of things are really set and setting are really important when you are about to do a journey because if you are in the wrong mindset you can certainly have a negative um, experience in a, mm -hmm. in a journey. And then same thing if your environment is, uh, is not conducive to keeping you calm and relaxed, mm -hmm. you could mm -hmm. also end they've, up having a sound. difficult journey. So that's why mm -hmm. I incorporated those chapters and they really benefit anyone. And I think also, um, I do have a lot of men reaching out to me saying, I got your book and I'm reading it and it's mm -hmm. great, great information, even despite that I focus on women's health specifically, but also a lot of men are buying the book to give to their partners, perhaps, mm -hmm. or uh, parents or, uh, you know, a, a, a female friend who mm -hmm. may be interested in psilocybin. And I think that's beautiful because I think one of the issues with um, the psychedelic space is that it can have a bit of a bro feel to it. And so right. sometimes women feel excluded and certainly they're excluded in conferences and things like that when in talking about the science and so i love that men are choosing to buy the book instead of mansplaining to their female counterparts that want to dive into psilocybin if they already have knowledge about psilocybin right right well i i i looked at getting the book myself i i uh, and our time together really we had made our 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 setup and it was so short i was trying to gleam what i could from the sure. book, uh, from your web website, and you know, it, it it really is wonderful that you're really providing this sort of uh, 101, uh, if not more deeper um, dive into not only what it does from the neurochemistry or the biology or the physiology, but you're also helping them to set up, you know, what the intentions are, what the mindset is, what the setting is in terms of safety, and also uh, ways of integrating because many many men really you know i'm i'm i work with men all the time that's really where i my my sweet spot is if you will sure. working with men and their the emotional literacy of men is you know not as great as it is with women women have a greater <laughs> emotional literacy they're able to go ahead and somehow connect the left and the right hemispheres and really be able to go ahead and introspect and figure out what's going on now I want to talk about microdosing because, yeah. you know, to, to yeah, to the layman, you know, how would you describe the concept of microdosing psychedelics? And, you know, are there any proven practices and, you know, is it safe for everyone to, to, to try? I'm just wondering, you know, I, I wrote something on microdosing on the microdose platform on psychedelics and the future of mental health care. And I'm uh, wondering from your viewpoint, you know, is this 
sort of the, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's the panacea, but I, I do see more and more people going that route, but I don't see the efficacy rates or the, you know, the science that really kind of backs it up. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that and also speak to, you know, what your view is in terms of the safety and the practice. Sure, absolutely. So just to give readers, or I mean, listeners a background. Right. Um, so a, a macro dose would be something like, you know, two, three, 3.5 grams. And then a, and a micro dose is just a fraction of that. That's like one tenth of a gram, maybe up to mm -hmm. like 0 0.4, 0 0.5 of a gram, depending on how deep you want to go. But mm -hmm. when you micro dose, you're not having that, those traditional psychedelic effects that, um, we, you know, we tend to see in movies where like things get all geometric shapes and things are moving and stuff like patterns. that you know like yeah <laughs> patterns stuff like that um you're not going to have that necessarily you, you won't really notice that you took it in terms of like visuals but you may feel differently in your body such as like having just you know uh taking the edge off the day uh of feeling less anxiety feeling more focused perhaps but you are correct in what you say and that we don't yet have the efficacy in the science to show that that is what is happening when we microdose uh, we don't we don't know we don't know that from a scientific perspective but of course um you know microdosing has been around for a long time and many people swear by it and i think um, a couple of things to consider here are that um, we do have research on macro doses mm -hmm. in clinical trials and obviously we have so much indigenous wisdom to pull from and I re it's really important to pull from that. And with a macro dose, what we're learning with depression is that it's lasting, the effects are lasting. So you you may not even need to microdose. You could do a deeper journey and then um, and then have your experience and integrate it properly. Integration for anyone who doesn't know is the process of learning from your experience, whether you're integrating with a psychedelic assisted therapist or um, you might have a, an integration community that you work with or um, you can just journal and learn from your your experience but that is what causes those lasting changes that integration process is really important to that but again um, you know you can we're, we're seeing in clinical trials that it's it's a lasting effect in terms of relieving depression relieving certain trauma aspects of trauma all of that so you may not need to microdose However, um, you know, it's certainly an option and people are trying it and, and having generally good experiences. Um, and one thing to consider is that, you know, a lot of people are who have depression or other mental health conditions are immediately put on like an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. You have to take those regularly as a medication. They're great medications. I appreciate that they're out there. And I certainly wouldn't want anyone to go off of their medication if it's working for them. But um, with SSRIs, you are blunting your mood. So you're blunting not only your lows, but also your highs. Mm -hmm. And there is research out there to show that psilocybin, instead of blunting your mood, actually makes you feel more okay with not only your lows, but also your highs. Like you just feel better on mm -hmm. um, you, you know trying psilocybin. And that mm -hmm. that's an effect that happens from a deeper journey mm -hmm. at, in terms of the research right now. But um, you know, with with microdosing protocols. There are several different protocols out there that people have been practicing for a long time. One of them is the Fatiman pro protocol. Mm -hmm. The other is the Stamet stack. There are several. I do list those specific ones in my book in terms of how you microdose. Um, you know, there's, there's right. usually a practice of doing a few right. days on, a few days off for a while, and then you take mm -hmm. a break and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how mm -hmm. that works. But yeah. it might be more effective for someone than being on an SSRI. 
And when we start talking about stacking, I, I think that's important to talk about in terms of whether or not it's 100 milligrams or whatever, but it's the stacking process. Can you just speak to that? Yeah, I for, I don't have the amounts in front of me, but it's but like with a the, with lion's mane. And, yes, uh, yeah, that's the Stamet stack. It uses lion's mane, which is more of a functional medicinal mm -hmm. mushroom. It's right. not it's not a psychedelic mushroom. Mm -hmm. And then it also uses niacin, which is essentially vitamin B three. The caveat with niacin is that it can cause some flushing if you get too much of it in your system. So you may be consuming a lot of vita vitamin B3 through your diet. And so, you know, you may want to be, be watchful or mindful about your actual full vitamin B3 intake. Right. So to avoid that sort of painful flushing that can occur from that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, but that's the but stack. It's, but other than the niacin, it's a, it's mushrooms. So, you know, well, this yes. is, you know, it's like 100% mushrooms. You have a little niacin in there, but that helps to go ahead and move it through the uh, circulation through the body, right? That's right. a circulatory aspect in terms of working with the blood, yeah? And niacin is so important for just our our cells, our cellular health. Mm -hmm. And that's simply because, um, you know, I don't want to get too sciencey here, but- Oh, I love um, science, do it. <laughs> vitamin B3 converts to something called NAD plus in our bodies. And that is crucial for how our body uses glucose and, um, you know, sort of just all these these facets of energy in our cells. Mm -hmm. And as, as we age, so by the time you're in middle age, I'm in middle age, I'm 44, mm -hmm your your niacin or i'm sorry your your nad plus levels have decreased by almost half i believe yep. and so that's why we end up having all of these aging processes so so niacin in it comes in multiple forms mm -hmm. um has been has been re, being researched right now in longevity which is obviously another huge mm -hmm. topic at, at wonder at the wonderland conference right. and I, i'm so fascinated by it so yeah. i think you may have some long benefits for longevity oh, that's uh, another that conversation stamina. In the longevity yeah. conversation. I just totally. got some. I just got some supplements, so I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm trying to reverse. I'm a little old, but I'm trying to reverse the. I'm not that old, but you know, I'm. <laughs> I'm. I'm you know. You know, whatever. So the point being is, I do take B3 though. You know. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's good for you. Uh, and it's good and, for you. And let me ask you, in your, um, you know, as we start taking a look at psychedelics and you know, uh, as a as a treatment process. Do you see them as an alternative treatment, maybe perhaps, and we start seeing, like right now in Kansas, I was talking about this earlier, in Kansas, they've just uh, you know, uh, put $42 million into a harm reduction program studying Ibogaine, right? And really mm -hmm. using that in terms of looking at opioid addiction. And I'm wondering in your uh, viewpoint, whether or not from a addiction, depression, and anxiety viewpoint, you know, are, you know, these are these are issues traditional medicine has struggled with. So do you see the efficacy rates sort of moving the needle forward? And where do you think that would go? And, and let me just add on to you, because it's the mindfulness experience, what are the things that we need to be mindful of in order to help move that needle forward and not have it ricochet back? 
Yeah. Um, so I think with addiction or su- any type of substance use issue, um, we are seeing good things come out in clinical trials, which I'm really excited about because currently when we think about addiction, we really just don't have effective mm-hmm. treatments for that. Um, you know, there's the the AA model, which works really well for some people and is of not of interest for mm-hmm. others, or it's very difficult to do. And so we need to be thinking of different, we need to be thinking outside the box in terms right. of um, helping people with addiction and there is there are clinical trials coming out and I do think that that needle will be moved really well with with psilocybin at least that is my hope um, you know just in in terms of alcohol use disorder there was a great study that came out where um, after people did a psilocybin journey in a you know with a psychedelic assisted therapist sort of in, in therapeutic setting uh, they reduced their heavy drinking days um, by I forget how much but it was it was really interesting and you know in addiction we typically treat people in terms of like oh you have to stop everything you cannot have a drink if you're if you're in recovery you're sober and that doesn't work for many people we need to meet people where they are in their addiction processes and and that's essentially a form of harm reduction um and then in terms of being mindful as we move forward um i think just trying to um encourage people to stop thinking about the war on drugs and uh, realize that there was so much misinformation that came out during that time period. So there can be this idea like, oh, well, you can't treat addiction with a drug. Like you can't treat addiction with another like illicit substance because still it's still illegal federally, uh, psilocybin is. And, and we need to stop thinking that way because we are clearly proving over time the efficacy of all psychedelics, I mean, there are especially MDMA and psilocybin are really gaining some traction. And so we really need to be looking at that and thinking about that. And one of the things that, um, you know, I was asked recently in an interview that that sort of surprised me was um, someone said, there are a lot of of therapists out there, mental health professionals that are worried that people are just going to skip all the other uh, options for like treating depression or treating anxiety and go straight to psilocybin. And my question for those people is why would you think that's a problem? I mean, are you are you so worried about like taking money away from the pharmaceutical industry? You know, because obviously pharmaceuticals right. are you know mm-hmm. uh expensive yeah, and you can get a grow and, kid for a hundred dollars and grow your own so right exactly yeah. you know sure. so i i don't see the problem with people going directly to psilocybin as long as they're doing it in a safe way and uh being mindful about it and right. um you know I mean, again nothing wrong with using psilocybin recreationally but if you are using it to treat a mental health condition you want to do that in a very mindful and um therapeutic way Right. Well, you know, and uh, the the analogy that pops up for me is that you know, you know, today is Rosh Hashanah, right? And yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, it's the new year, and you know, I don't whether or not you're Judeo Christian, Judeo Christian, Buddhist, Taoist, Hindu, Islamic doesn't matter. There is a quality of sacredness, and you know, we're talking about the science and the sacred. So, you know, would you take the science, you know, specifically, would you take the science into a church and stream and not prepare or not not have reverence? You know, I mean, so there's this quality of reverence, I think, that we're all trying to bring into it to really have a quality of setting, you know? Yes. And, and really understand that this is the opportunity to alter, to literally put at the altar your ego 
and to really look at a reboot, a reset, and a reframe. And isn't that when the, isn't that what we all want to sort of aspire to transcendence or aspire to some sort of, you know, change? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that we need to be merging mm -hmm. the, you know, scientific research that's coming out now and then also all of this indigenous wisdom that we have a, mm -hmm. you know, a track record of. We think of science as as the process of doing something over and over again to reproduce the same results, but that's exactly what indigenous right. peoples have done with psilocybin for however long far back centuries, I guess, you know, and so mm -hmm. it's really important to be bringing that in. And uh, when I was doing the interviews for my book, I interviewed a, um, a psychologist or a therapist, I can't remember, but her name is Natalie Villanova. And she mm -hmm. talked about this two eyed seeing concept that was mm -hmm. first brought to mainstream science mm -hmm. by a Mi'kmaq elder named Robert El Robert Albert, right? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, Albert Marshall, I believe. I'm sorry, I really wanted to get yeah. that correct. Albert Marshall. And um, he is was in the Ekasoni First Nation. And wow. so he brought this idea together of like, we need to be merging science and indigenous wisdom for all facets of our mm -hmm. lives, because it's so important. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you hit you hit on a really great point there in terms of set and setting. So if we bring ceremony to our psilocybin practice and, you know, thinking about indigenous cultures and how they use ceremony, it does help you put in it, put you in a better mindset going into your journey and helps relax you, helps keep you calm rather than if you're just like at a festival eating mushrooms, right? Mm -hmm. Where you could have a very negative experience. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does, but you know. Right. And, and you know, it's not, and within that within that openness because there is this grand you know ineffable openness you know it it's also important to go ahead and have boundaries you know to really yeah. recognize your boundaries and i think that's you know that's one of the things that I, that that i i think is most perplexing in terms of how do we make this available to the people that need it and not uh, not not debase it in a way that it becomes you know, uh, it becomes uh, like an addiction, like what we saw, you know, I, I don't know, I keep talking about this, this Netflix special, the uh, painkiller about yeah. this, the, the whole idea of the uh, Purdue Pharma and the mm -hmm. rise of uh, opioids and, uh, you know, having heroin and a pill. That's what people are afraid of. They're afraid with all of the, with all of the stuff that we're somehow gonna create a nation of zombies where it's exactly the opposite where you have people who are opening up their you know opening up their consciousness through neurogenesis and you know being able to deal with epigenetic trauma and being able to deal with all these other things so there is this opportunity and uh, i'm just wondering you know uh, how how do we get beyond the stigma yeah, it's hard because, you know, I'm facing it as I'm starting to, as I'm promoting, I'm in the throes of promoting my book and I'm certainly facing that stigma in, in certain places where like a television reporter will reach out to me, want to interview me, and then the news director will say, no, we can't interview her about those illegal drugs, you know? And so I really, I always try to bring up the war on drugs and discuss mm -hmm. how there was so much disinformation out there. I think it's also important to talk about the iron law of prohibition. Just because you have something illegal doesn't mean people aren't going, I mean, it, that doesn't mean that people will stop doing it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about, uh, and and when we when we make things illegal, the then worse things are created. So, um, you know, fentanyl is a great example. Heroin's illegal. 
fentanyl is easier to transport and, you know, add to whatever. And so that's out there and that's causing the overdoses. Mm. And so and just because we've you know that that psilocybin is illegal doesn't mean that people aren't using it. And I also think it helps to explain um, in terms of stigma. I think it helps to explain, well, how does psilocybin even work? Because people just we see all these things in movies and just looks like someone's having like a wonky trip and, you know, mm-hmm. going out of their mind. That's not really the actual representation, the proper representation of what happens during a psilocybin journey. Right. So I always like to explain how psilocybin actually works. Um, and, and researchers have come up with a really great model to explain that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is oh, Robin Carhart Harris, Dr. Robin Carhart Harris yep. and um, Dr. Carl J. Friston. They came up with this model. It's called the Rebus model and it stands for relaxed beliefs under psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I think this is such a great model to explain it. And they've got a great analogy too. So in when we're children, our brains are super flexible. We haven't formulated our beliefs about ourselves or how the world around us operates. But as we get into adulthood, um, our bl- brains become much more re- rigid because we have formulated our identity and how the world around us operates. And so there is also research out there that shows that uh, that rigidity is more prevalent in people who have depression, anxiety, trauma, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you take a psychedelic, um, we it's essentially that um, you become more flexible again, your mm-hmm. brain becomes more entropic. And so to think about this in the analogy that they created, which I just love, is that when, when we're in normal states of consciousness, like I am right now, your brain is very rigid. If you were to try to take a new idea or belief about yourself, let's mm-hmm. say you're trying to convince yourself that you're like, you know, you're acceptable in social situations, maybe you have social anxiety, you try to get that belief in your brain, you dr- your brain is like a frozen pond. And you think about it, uh, the belief as a rock, you drop it on that frozen pond, it doesn't gain entry. We just have a lot of trouble changing our minds in right. normal states of consciousness. When we're on a psychedelic, however, that brain now becomes a thawed pond. And now we can take that rock in the form of a new belief, drop it in, it gains entry, it causes a ripple effect. It's a lasting thing. Mm-hmm. So that is a really great way to explain um, what, what, why would a psychedelic even work to help people have these beneficial and therapeutic effects. Right. So we, so we basically are shutting down our default mode network and allowing this neurogenesis, this uh, neuroplasticity, the abil- ability of the brain to go ahead and interconnect with regions that it normally doesn't deal with, right? And then we're, yeah. we're able to go ahead and have these sensory experiences where suddenly we're able to hear and and see sound, you know, or we're able to, you know, right. we're able to see color and use in the air that we normally might not see, you know, things that, you know, are really more open to us. And, and you just explained it wonderfully. And, uh, and, and that was Rebus, R-E-B-U-S? R-E-B-U-S. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I love that you brought up the default mode network. Uh-huh. The default mode network is a network of brain regions that work together and they really formulate our sense of self, our, um, our memories, um, our sense of our fear, our triggers, things like that are all involved in this default mode network. And so when we are on a psychedelic, you you said it pretty well. It's that um, it's like some areas of the brain that normally connect disconnect while other areas that no, don't normally connect mm-hmm. connect. So it's like we've taken, you know, we've got like some massive outlet on the wall with a bunch of different plugs and we've pulled them out and rearranged them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it just it allows this um 
entropic state of mind where we can get new information in that we just cannot do in a normal state of consciousness. Mm, I, I love that. It's sort of, I, I just had this vision of sort of, you know, taking the paint off of a painting and then just rearranging the colors and rearranging, you know, it's a, it's really right. an opportunity to, to reboot, reset, reframe, you know? And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and you, you wonderful. know, you go back to the normal way that things are plugged in after, right. Um, right. you know, after your journey, but you still have the beneficial effects of that switch up, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that increased neuroplasticity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, everyone talks about the journey, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a journey and you kind of wonder, you know, well, what does that mean? But, you know, I've always found that, you know, when you go on a journey, when you actually go somewhere, you never come back the same, you know, yeah. it, it changes you. So you come back home, but inside your whole, you know, view of the world has changed. And I think that's one of the reasons why we call this work kind of journey work, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I like what you just said that we never come back the same and, you know, and that's true. And the other thing to keep in mind is that you're the, the, you know, the mushroom is going to teach you what your brain needs to know the most right now, but it's only working on information that's already in your brain. And that's hard to wrap your head around, but essentially it's the mushroom teaches you or enlightens you to the tools that you have within yourself to cope with depression, to cope with anxiety, to cope with, you know, PTSD. Uh, it, it just gives you the tools. It, it teaches you about the tools that you didn't know you had, but they're there. Beautiful, beautiful. So let me ask you, um, you know, your work is mostly focused on chronic health issues, men medical rights, health care, harm reduction and scientific evidence around health and wellness trends. And that includes cannabis and psychedelics, you know, and I, I you know, I'd like to unpack a little bit of that. But I also want to ask you, you know, what other project projects are in the works? that you can possibly share. I mean, you're doing a lot there. And, you know, what what can we look forward to over in uh, Wonderland at the conference? Uh, you know, what, what's that going to be about? Yeah, so I'll have my book there. And then in terms of speaking, I will be talking about that intersection of psilocybin and women's mm -hmm. health and really kind of bringing to light this idea that women's health is not taken seriously and it really needs to be. And what I love about the psychedelic space right now is that we have some really innovative researchers in this space who are digging into women's health and the relation to psilocybin. So the, the, the information that I was talking about re regarding the menstrual cycle, a lot of that comes from a Johns Hopkins study where some wonderful female researchers are doing the work. And so mm. I am so excited about that. Mm. Yeah. That's great. So, so as we start to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm particularly interested at just at the moment because I got into a very heated conversation, um, uh, yesterday uh, around the use of cannabis and specifically, you know, how uh, cannabis has been recreationalized and, and people were concerned because it's all over the place and people aren't using it right. And what are they doing? And, you know, it's is the same thing going to happen with psychedelics. And, you know, are people just going to, you know, is everyone just going to check out and, you know, especially here in New York, because in New York City, you walk around and it's absolutely everywhere. And of course, it's there because you can't smoke inside. You know, that's not 
allowed. It's not allowed right. by law. So I'm just wondering your thoughts about that, you know, specifically because we're going to be at this Wonderland conference. There's going to be probably about 3,000, maybe more, 4,000 people, who knows at this particular point. But, you know, it, it is, and we were just at the Psychedelic Science 2023 convention, 13,000 people. You know, Burning Man, people just came at 75,000 people. So I'm just wondering, there seems to be a growth in this. Is there a potential in your mind that the cat will get out of the bag or the horse will get out of the gate without a <laughs> without with, without a saddle? You know, give me I'm your not worried about that. I think, huh? um, you know, I, I want people to have access to mm -hmm. medications that help them, including uh psilocybin, including cannabis, you know, I think um, what we need to remember, again, going back to this, this iron law of prohibition, you know, when we outlaw something, we are um, only creating a worse problem. So if we think even going back to the days of booze prohibition, what happened, people made booze shine back in the hills, and it was extremely high, you know, alcohol content and harms people. And so, you know, we just always have these issues. And the same thing happens in the cannabis space. Um, so just because it, I mean, obviously it's legal in certain areas, but I live in a state where, um, yes, we have hemp, um, you can use hemp-derived THC, but by the time you extract THC from hemp, it's practically synthetic. And so you have these products like Delta 8, right? Mm -hmm. That is what's causing people to end up in the ER. It's not mm -hmm. regular cannabis. It's not mm -hmm. regular Delta 9 THC. Mm -hmm. There are studies about this. It's showing States that don't have legal Delta 9 THC mm -hmm. have more emergency room visits for mm -hmm. synthetic cannabis than right. other places and specifically with children. So, mm -hmm. you know, let's stop making drugs illegal. Let's legalize these things and let's give people proper access where we have, mm -hmm. um, you know, sources that can be trusted. You know, now I can I can go to my cannabis dispensary, not in my state because it's illegal, but I can go up to Illinois and I can get my cannabis and um, I can check the, the certificate of analysis and see exactly what's in right. the product, how much THC, how much CBD, mm -hmm. All of that. How much? What how much we... lead or cadmium yeah. is in there? I, I just read that. That that was part of the argument, by the way, because they were talking about sure. the lead and the cadmium. But then when you unpack the research and you you went back, they had no controls. They had the had you didn't know whether or not they were smoking it or ingesting it or whatever. Right. And they and they also didn't tell you about how much they were doing or whether or not it was from a farm uh, a dispensary or whether or not it was off the street. Right. Was it from, you know, a place that has a really good certificate analysis? We, you know, there's just no information right. on that. Plus, what, el what else are people consuming or doing that mm -hmm. affects where do they live? Their environment could, mm -hmm. you know, by nature, ha create more lead in their bodies. And so, yeah, a ridiculous um, information mm -hmm. that came out. But mm -hmm. I ultimately, when you have the peer product out there, again, you know, uh, Delta 9 THC, you're not having problems. It's one of the least toxic drugs out there. And same with psilocybin is very much on par with that as long as you're getting psilocybin and not, you know, some random mushroom right. that's poisonous, you know, which, good, good. but if we have access, yeah. we have proper yeah, access so, to the right thing. So legalization definitely allows some, you know, not only fostering some controls, but it also provides a mechanism so that we know that we're getting safe, you know, product and that the individuals are able to go ahead and use it in an environment where they don't have to be freaked out about somebody 
coming to go ahead and get them. You know, right, yet, exactly. I, I was talking with someone yesterday also that was talking about uh, Ready Whip, you know, the laughing gas, you know, uh, <laughs> and they were saying in the UK, they've now made that illegal. La laughing gas is illegal. So you can't even have a Ready Whip to go ahead. You know, I mean, that's it, I, I couldn't do anything but laugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it is serious and you do have some ha to have some guidelines for it let me ask you as we start to round up here uh, in your opinion you know and this is uh, again the mindfulness experience so I, I i'm wondering from the steps that people can take to integrate mindfulness and psychedelics into their daily lives because i'm a firm believer that you know, the medicine is inside of us, you know, the medicine is inside of us and it's only going to show us a window or a doorway that we need to walk through or something that we need to be taking a look at to go ahead and finally give a hug to rather than, you know, try to exile in some way that just keeps on coming back to us. So mindfulness or breath work to me are very big in this space. I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of you know, being able to integrate these and, you know, what are some of the practical steps that people can look at? Yeah, I think a very like simple practical step is just immediately after your journey or as you're kind of coming down from your journey uh -huh. um, to grab a journal and just jot down, doesn't have to be good writing, just jot down what insights came up just because, mm -hmm. the, you know, you don't want it to, you don't want to forget what those were and, and they're really prevalent right as you're coming down or right after your journey. And so get it on paper. And then, you know, later, if you're someone like me who is just a, I love to write. And so mm -hmm. it was very easy me easy for me to like take my journal then and then write more in depth about my experience but again there are all of these um, circles out there of people like-minded people who have integration like communities there are um, you know integration communities for um, uh, you know black indigenous people of color there you know so specifically people who have some of your lived experiences mm -hmm. there are women integration circles there are mom integration circles mm -hmm. parents in general all of that can really be beneficial and then of course there are um psychedelic integration therapist out there where you're not necessarily going to see them to do your your journey although there are some that do both but then there are also integration therapists who help you navigate well what insights came up and then you know gleaning learning from those insights and you know kind of in, incorporating behavior changes if that's something if, that, if that's a goal right. um but yeah that mindfulness is really important that integration is really important and like you said it's like the medicine actually lives inside you because once you have that experience you've had it no one can take that experience away from you and you will continue to learn from it i had a journey a year ago um in august that was uh that i'm still learning from like i'm still integrating it so that's why i think it's such a, a beautiful thing in terms of helping people with depression because it can be that you do it once it might be that you do it once a year that sort of thing as opposed to taking you know an ssri i mean again nothing wrong with those mm -hmm. drugs if they're working mm -hmm. for you great mm -hmm. you know right right so so really uh you know remember right uh you know and and integrate and when we start you know i'm a psychedelic assisted therapy provider and you know i i, I really try to prep the men that i work with 
to go ahead and do the right thing and obviously be present and then integrate. But your point is, is that you take this with you your year later and you're still learning from it. Let me ask you as we close out here our conversation, what advice would you give to someone uh, who's considering trying psychedelics, but maybe they're, you know, hesitant about the possible risk or some of the unknowns. And, you know, with that, uh, maybe, you know, how people might get a hold of you or get a hold of your book to go ahead and help them, you know, on their path. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things I really wanted to do with my book was incorporate stories of people and their and their actual journeys or how it's helping them. Mm -hmm. So I did that with not only my own journey, like my first the first chapter of the book is my, entirely about my journey and the insights that came up. Mm -hmm. And I'm also someone who um, was hesitant to try it. I was nervous about it because there are a lot of unknowns and you hear, mm -hmm. hear all these weird stories or you see all these weird things on TV and you're like, oh, I'm going to lose my mind forever and I'll never be the same person. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. So I think my book helps people to ease into something if they want more information. Again, I incorporate stories from other women as well and their journey. So that can help. And just learning about what happens in the brain, the neurobiology. So chapter three is beneficial for that. So I'm just, I'm hoping I can help pe put people at ease by providing as much information as possible and explaining all the mechanisms that occur in the body to the best that I that I could. Mm -hmm. um, people can find me at yeah. uh, jenniferchesick.com. The last name is spelled C-H-E-S-A-K. Or you can find me on social media. Uh, my handle everywhere is at Jen Chesick, J-E-N-C-H-E-S-A-K. And the book is available anywhere books are sold. If you walk into your independent bookstore they don't happen to have it you can ask them to order it beautiful 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 well i i really want to thank you for being here and for uh you know i'm looking forward to your talk at wonderland and i'm looking forward to meeting you as well thank you thank you i'm looking forward to meeting you as well and thank you so much for having me Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being with us today. Your work in the industry is illuminating and timely, and we look forward to following more on our upcoming projects, your upcoming projects. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Mindfulness Experience podcast. Stay mindful, stay curious, and we'll see you on the next episode.